Eternal Dirtles is a podcast sponsored by Paragon City Games and supporters like you. Come to our Patreon at patreon.com slash eternaldirtles and support us. Thanks. Hey, this is Radio ZACC. We're taking calls on the wish line, making your wacky wishes come true. Hello? I wish I had hypnotic specter, disrupting scepter. I wish I had sorceress queen, I would tap her. I wish I had a tome on the board with a tim and a 6-4 crawl worm. I wish I had a fat 9-9 so I could attack with it. It and there's tapped, I got instant energy, it's really fine. I try to jam it all the time, every deck I got. And even in my dreams, I can't scheme a way to win on time. Cause you know Colossus is where it's at. I play Saddlebags, you play Disenchant, so how am I gonna compete with that? Cause when it comes to playing magic cards, I'm always mulling the sick. And in some cases, never cast at all. So I just sit up on the wall, or sit on the sidelines with the scrub, or get an in-between round mall hot dog. Dag y'all, I never understood that. Why why Weenie gets the top eight, and I lose to some plague rats. I tell him scat, skittle, skabottle. It took five from Solomon's bottle. And now I'm in the loser bracket for not being out of win. With June and Jin. It's a shame. When you're living in a city in a bottle and no one knows your name. Glad I came to my senses, like quick quick and sick sick to my stomach, and overcometh it with thoughts of me and nine nine together, right? So when I cast it, they said two ain't that tight. I wish I had a nine specter, disrupting scepter. I wish I had sorceress queen, I would tap her. I wish I had a tome on the board, and a tim, and a six four crawl worm. I wish I had a nine specter, disrupting scepter. I wish I had a sorceress queen, I would tap her. I wish I had a tome on the board, and a tim, and a six four crawl worm. I wish I had some brand new tech. So far I got this rack deck, and everywhere I get laughed at. But when I start off, I'm laid back. I got this hippie in this black nine, turn three, and I feel like that's that. And you want to know what's really whack? See, I can't even get a swamp, so what you think about that? I heard that strip mine is the bomb right, and factory can swing tight, but really though, got no mana flow. And when I draw my hand, I can't even get a ritual. Well, so many people want to play type one on Sunday, I'm going to have to get a deck and go. I take the one one and tear the five five, fade the game early until the top eight, I'm still alive. Cause it's hard to survive when you're living in the concrete jungle and these gins keep passing you by. Hippie fly, Juden fly, Juden say my, my, my. I wish I had hypnotic specter, disrupting scepter. I wish I had sorceress queen, I would tap her. I wish I had a tome on the board with a tim and a 6 4 crawl worm. I wish I had hypnotic specter, disrupting scepter. I wish I had sorceress queen, I would tap her. I wish I had a tome on the board and a tim and a 6 4 crawl worm. I wish I had disrupting scepter. Disrupting scepter or hypnotic specter. Disrupting specter. I wish I had hypnotic specter. Hypnotic specter or disrupting scepter. Disrupting scepter. I wish I had disrupting scepter. Disrupting scepter or hypnotic specter. Hey, I wish I had my way, cause every day would be Friday, and you could even effing him up my way. I will play pickup games. Name my deck silly names like Dr. Discard or Mr. Happy's Very Bad Day. Yeah, you know it's on the real. Cause if you're down on your luck, you should know just how I feel. Cause if you don't want me around, I go simple. I go easy. I go Greyhound. Hey, you, what's that sound? Him to Torak, two cards down. Aw, yes, ain't that fresh. Take three from Rack, cause it works like that. I wish I had hypnotic specter, disrupting scepter. I wish I had sorceress queen, I would tap her. I wish I had a tome on the board with a tim and a six-four crawl worm. I wish I had hypnotic specter, despotic scepter. I wish I had sorceress queen, I would tap her. I wish I had a tome on the board with a tim and a six-four crawl worm.
Hello and welcome to Eternal Dirtles. I'm your host, Zach Clark, and with me this week's special guest, old school champion, Will McGran. Will, how's it going? I'm going going well. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Zach. Yeah, man. It's a it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to have you on uh, for for several reasons. Uh, The first reason being, you know, it's always great to get a champion on. Uh, The second reason is because uh, many, many of our uh, viewers listened to viewers, listeners listened to the uh, Waterbury episode. And you were the guy who soul crushed me out of the top eight. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, unfortunately, one of us had to win. And uh, I think the deck reg error that you had had a large part in. Oh, it certainly in, didn't uh, help. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It was I was bound to to trip up eventually. I'm known for m- missing the little things. And that was that was a classic one. Yeah, I mean, it, it feels pretty defensible given that it was, what, a red blast and a lightning bolt that were switched? Yeah, yeah. I had a bolt in my that was supposed to be in my board and a red blast that was supposed to be in my main deck, and they were switched around. And, you know, obviously it doesn't look good either way, but, like, you know, at, at on top of that, like, just check your deck. Zach, yeah. Come on. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good <laughs> lesson to learn. It's the easiest thing to do. Absolutely. But I feel like those are the kind of things that you make that mistake once and you will never make that mistake again in your life. Oh, I wish that were the case. Well, yeah. <laughs> I truly do. <laughs> I, I uh, immediately texted one of my friends. I was like, guess what happened? He was just like, no, I heard you were doing really well. Did you fuck it up or what? I was like, <laughs> yeah, uh, here's what I did. And he was just like, yeah, it sounds about right. That's that's classic that I I generally do well until I get fatigued. And then like after that, it's just like. You know, the little things start to get me. Hmm. I once uh, missed four cards in a modern deck uh, where I uh, uh, forgot to... It was Splinter Twin era, and I mm-hmm. forgot to put in my remands as, like, the four cards I was missing. Oh. Uh, a judge caught it, and I got a game loss, and I went on to just crush my opponent two times in a row. But uh, uh-huh. uh, I don't think my deck is as dominant in this format as Splinter Twin was in modern, where I can just be, like, windmill slam two wins real fast. Yeah, vintage the uh, the games are a little too swingy. I think yeah. for that to be the case. Well, so you know we could talk about vintage all night, and 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 we we probably shouldn't because what we really want to talk about. Uh, oh, by the way, this is an old school update brought to you by theepicstorm.com. Uh, Will, uh, you won the old school event at Eternal Weekend. I did. Tell me. Yeah. So t- let's let's just start with. The event, the the event on the whole. Just give me your impressions of 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 the Eternal Weekend uh, uh, old school event. Uh, it was really just a great event all around. Um, I knew going into it that it was going to be the largest old school event ever, and I was a little worried because last year when I went to the Eternal Weekend old school event, it was like everybody was on top of each other. Like play mats were over top of play mats across the tables. There was no place to put a beer. It was like a little bit too many people for the space that they had. Mm-hmm. And so I was worried with even more people showing up this year that it was going to be just magnified. And I was pleasantly surprised. They got a second room down in the basement, which I was like, oh, God, this is going to be like Silence of the Lambs or something like that. And it was really nice. There was a ton of space. Like you had plenty of space to the left and right of you to, you know, put your stuff on the table or whatever. And it was just a really nice event. Um, 
overall. I mean, that's a very old school feel is to be playing magic in someone's basement anyhow, right? At a yeah, at an Elks Lodge nonetheless. Yeah. Which, uh, so like, you know, it's pretty nice to be able to be like, oh, I finished my match in 20 minutes. Let me go to the bar for the next 45 minutes and wait for the round to start. Yeah, that sounds. I uh, mean, I I really uh, I'm really bummed that I didn't get to come to this because I spent a lot of time building building my deck out for it. But uh, you know, the I, I've been harping on this the whole time for the Eternal uh, Weekend thing is just the the dates were just not great for uh, for people with plans on on the Halloween and like uh, kid. You know, ha- I don't have kids, but other people have kids and stuff like that. So it was hard for a lot of people, I think, to get out. But it's great that this was the largest event, so the turnout was great. Yeah, they uh, they definitely didn't have trouble getting people for the event, but I totally agree. I have a lot of friends who did some kind of crazy travel. The guys who I drove home with, they drove out Friday night and didn't get in until late and then, you know, played in the tournament, which was on a Sunday. And we I won the tournament, got my prize and we were in the car within 30 minutes on the way home. And I don't I didn't get in until about 2 a.m., back to Philly and then they some of them had to go still from there up to New York City yeah, yeah. and work Jeez. the next day Whoa. and like I don't know how you do that but uh, I think it was a lot of caffeine that went into the oh, next yeah. the next day of work yeah I've done I've done a couple of those red eye drive trips for magic tournaments where you like I think Richmond Virginia GP in like a 2014 or something like that we drove all the way down and then uh, the ride that I had uh, was going somewhere else afterwards, so we took a bus back home. And I think I got in uh, – it had to be like 4 in the morning, and I had to work the next day. It was just like – it was a lot. Um, yeah, those uh, – but, you know, those are the things you do for – you know, when you really – when when you love a hobby. You go, you know, you go all out for that sort of stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, um, I had it kind of – figured out where my girlfriend came with me. Uh, we drove out on Wednesday night and then spent the day in Pittsburgh on Thursday, played vintage Friday, spent the day on Saturday. Then she went home and that was kind of the start of the debauchery. Um, and I went and played old school and had some drinks and just kind of all around had a great time, uh, hanging out with my friends and then got to do the drive home. So it was like kind of the perfect mix because I felt a few times before with these tournaments that are several days of tournaments by the end of it, I am just like, I do not want to see another magic card for however long it will be. And that will not be long enough. So this was kind of the perfect mix for me. Yeah. That's, and, and that's, that's the, uh, the culmination of a good event where you feel like you've satisfied your itch for, for a, a little bit of time too. I feel like. Yeah. One hundred percent. Yeah. With vintage, I'm like, I put my deck away after the tournament. I'm like, okay, I won't touch this for probably another six months. And hopefully, uh, you know, things will be new and fun for me at that point in time. But yeah, from an old school standpoint, the event as a whole, like I really feel like old school for me and magic in general, but it's really become so much more about the people that I get to see and the friends that I get to spend time with. And like, I've had a couple friends where, you know, I see them and we're sitting there talking and and I'm like thinking to myself, like, do I want to ask them if they want to play a game? And I'm like, it's just going to kind of take away from our conversation here. Like I'm more (laughs) just here to, you know, hang out and have a beer with you rather than sit here and play magic, especially uh, I play in a lot of Skype tournaments. So it's like very easy for me on a random Wednesday night to 
fire up my computer and get a game going in, you know, 15 minutes if I really want to play. Whereas, you know, I don't get a chance to sit down face to face with some of my friends, you know, maybe it's once or twice a year if I'm lucky. So it really, that part of it is just really amazing. That is like, that's exactly what happens when, uh, cause Nate lives in Austin. I live in New York. Phil lives in Queens. Uh, whenever all three of us get together at the same time, in the same place, we're almost just like, Oh, Hey, what's going on? Let's let's just chill and hang out for a minute instead of like, you know, we talk about magic constantly. Uh, it's it's nice to just get a moment to like, you know, catch up. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. And the Eternal Weekend, uh, the old school event was perfect because Daylight Savings Time gave us the uh, the mythical 25 hour day. Oh, yeah. That day. And I was like, I literally I would trade three hours any other day of the year, basically, to have an extra hour of Eternal Weekend. Yeah, which. It's a good call. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so, I, I think I still managed to get like five hours of sleep, but yeah. that's the nature of the beast. Uh, so so let's talk old school. Uh, let's let's start by talking about the deck that you played. Sure. Sure. So um, over the past, I guess now it's been two years, I've been kind of working in the ATOG space. Mm-hmm. Um I first went to Eternal Weekend 2017 with Brian Menelakis, who I don't know if you're familiar with the All Things Considered podcast, but he kind of like he's one of the kind of pillars of the old school format at this point in time. But anyhow, he uh, he and I drove out to Eternal Weekend and I talked to him and I said, you know, at the end of the weekend, I was like, man, it really seems like everyone's deck is soft to Blood Moon and city in a bottle and he was like yeah you know it's so hard to build a mana base that's good enough without city of brass and basic lands are just at such a premium and he's like i, w- I was like okay well that's where i want to be then and so i kind of in talking to him i was like you know black vice seems really good when you can play four strip mines and so i kind of moved down that path and i started out at mono red and then as the months went by, first I was like, you know, I should really be playing Ancestral Recall and Time Twister. And then I was like, you know, I should be playing Demonic Tutor and, and Mind Twist in here as well. And it just kind of builds and builds and builds. And before I knew it, I was playing this five-color monstrosity with balance and regrowth <laughs> and just all the burn spells that you could fit in. And it was just kind of, it got almost got out of hand. Um, and I put the deck down. After Eternal Weekend 2018, I put the deck down and didn't play it again for a little while. Um, but it's kind of always been in the back of my mind. And I went to NoobCon in uh, Sweden, and we built an ATOG deck for that. Um, and like, it's always kind of been the thing that I've gone back to. So I'll play, you know, I tried to play the deck. I played workshops. I played like kind of an Arabian aggro yep. and I've always, you know, at the end of the day, I'm like, why am I not just playing ATOG? And so that was kind of where I, uh, where I came back to for eternal weekend was I said, I want to play something that's inherently powerful and I just want to be as powerful as I can possibly be and see where that'll take me. And so what that meant for me was putting Serendip free into my ATOG deck because that's, probably the best creature in old school yeah i agree i think one of the one of the things about playing atog too is is you know city of bottle city of bottle everyone's everyone's got like one of those in their board right yep. like if, if you're playing optimally you probably have one of those in your board unless you're completely soft to it 
that's that's how you're doing. Nobody plays Golgothi and Silex. That's true. Yeah, uh, I've gotten it activated against me a few times, and my goodness, is it a terrible feeling? But you're absolutely right. I mean, it's such a rarely played thing, and the Atog itself, I think, is such a. There, I've had so many people who they. I play an ATOG and they go, that's sacrifice to give it plus one, plus one until out of turn. And I'm like, no, it's plus two, plus two until out of turn. And they're like, oh, and it just matches up so favorably going from one, two to three, four to five, six. Yeah. Um, it's really, unless someone has swords to plowshares, it's very hard for them to actually kill your ATOG. And the kind of way that the deck sort of operates as it's kind of MO is, you put down a Black Vice, you put down an Ankh of Mishra, they deal your opponent damage, your opponent kind of stabilizes and gets to a point where the Black Vice isn't going to deal them damage, and then you either put an Atog down and sacrifice the Black Vice and Ankh to power up the Atog, mm -hmm. or you play a draw seven and put them right back to seven cards and then watch them kind of crumble as they try to desperately get cards out of their hand. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the deck looks brutal. Uh, you're playing two Ankhamishra, four, four Black Vice, and those cards, uh, I mean, I, I play Stasis. Those cards mm -hmm. are the opposite of what I want to see uh, on yeah. the other side of the board for me, uh, especially Ankhamishra, because I just have to, I need to play a land every turn to, to get to a point where I can, you know, get, do my thing. So the, uh, Ankhamishra uh, affects so many decks uh, and it's just such a such a brutal card if if you're playing a, a deck that you want to play land and like you look at decks like the deck stasis and to some even to some extent like the uh, the some of the aggro decks are still going to want to ramp out enough mana for fireball at the end at the yeah. end of the day. No, 100%. Ankh of Mishra is just a card that in general, I mean, at the end of the day, there's no, it's not vintage. There's no dredge deck that plays a bazaar and never plays a land the rest of the game. Yeah. Everyone needs lands to play, play their spells. And even if they don't have to play lands to cast any spells, maybe they're a deck that curves out at three. They still are going to want to get cards out of their hands because you have black vice. So that, that synergy is really sort of one of the sort of center points of the deck. And, one of the things that I found, I had played for Ankh of Mishra when I went to NoobCon, and the challenge that I ran into with the card was it's so bad if your opponent opens on, like, turn one Savannah Lions and you go turn one Ankh of Mishra, man, you are on the back foot so fast. Yeah. And it's like, wait, I take two every time I play land? Like, the symmetry of it is is really, you know, scary when you're the one who's getting beaten down. And so that was kind of my experience from 2018 was just how many people are playing the mono black him deck because it's a very powerful deck, but also a very inexpensive deck or just kind of like the typical uh, lion bolt dib decks. Like, yeah. you know, it's the, those strategies are kind of tried and tested and just very good in general. Um, and you see very few people actually playing the deck which, you know, is somewhat surprising, but uh, of, like, actually the deck, there were only four people out of 196 playing it, despite it that being, That is quite you know, surprising, actually. Yeah, it's, like, widely considered to be the best deck. And I played it, um, I went to Chicago in August and went to the Old School Players Ball, and I decided to play the deck. 
I've been playing in in some online tournaments and just with uh, one strip mine legal, and I was just absolutely ripping through people. Like, I think, I think that I might was, be the difference is, is in a format yeah. with one strip mine, that the deck is is probably easily the best deck in, in the format. At least it's very hard to prey upon that deck. Yeah. When you're looking at something, the four strip mine, I mean, your, de- your deck looks like it would just crush the deck with four strip mines. Uh, right. But on top of that, there's just so many times where, like, you know, they've got... Uh, uh, Mishra's, uh, factories that they, they want to keep in play. They've got, uh, what's called uh, plenty of land troubles already. Like you just yeah. getting them off of their land is, is already a problem. Cause it's not like they can just fetch out what they need, you know? Right. Uh, and, yeah. then, and then, you know, some versions of the deck play, uh, play library of Alexandria. And that's a, that's a card you want to get rid of. And if you have four answers to it, they can't out card you. Yeah. And, and really with the ATOC deck, you have eight because you have four black Feist, which, if they want to draw off of library, I mean, be my guest. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah gonna, of course. You're going to take a lot of damage in the process of doing that. And yeah, I think when I when I went to the players' ball and I played the deck, I ended up finishing five and three. Which, given that I was playing, you know, like the quote unquote most powerful weapon in old school, I felt really, you know, kind of underwhelmed with it. But I just I played against a um, a Naya Bazarzu deck, which is just you know all the cheap bird apes and Savannah lions and burn. And I just got absolutely run over. And like, I I lost the, I lost the match basically by playing the wrong land on turn one. I played a tundra that I should have, and I should have played a volcanic Island. My tundra got stripped and I died with, uh, with the swords to plowshares in my hand. And I'm like, yeah, the margin for error is just so much smaller in four strip mine world oh, and yeah. really i think the the part of four strip mine that's sort of understated is that not only do you have four strip mines to go after your opponent's lands but they also most likely have four strip mines of their own so they're playing less colored sources and so their mana is going to be more strained naturally as well yeah so like i my kind of approach that i when i built my deck was Hey, I'm going to play a mana source more than I normally would because I really want to use my strip mines as just a zero mana sinkhole. Yeah. And then I put the shatters in there and shatter was really kind of the MVP card for me the whole weekend, because if you strip mine someone and then shatter an on colored mocks, there's a pretty good chance. They're just not going to be able to play spells. Yeah. And that happened an awfully, an awful lot. I mean, it was like, I almost felt bad because I would go like turn one black vice. They would play a land. I would strip it. They would strip. Sometimes they would strip me. And I was just like, sure, you can strip mine me. You probably don't have like four lands in your hand um, or three lands. Like I'll strip mine your other land, shatter your mocks. And then they're sitting there with one land hoping to draw something relevant. And I'm like, yeah, this is fine. So that was kind of my, my sort of approach with it. And I, you know, I, I like shatter a lot as just, it's really just a two mana stone rain often. And like, that is extremely powerful. Yeah. I mean, I, it's funny how, how much this conversation mirrors what we were talking uh, to Joe Brennan about uh, in the last cast where he was saying, you know, having the, having access to four wasteland effects, he was playing three in a, in a strip and then he's playing uh, Assassin's Trophy yeah. and doing the exact same thing. Like, okay, great, I can use Assassin's Trophy to get rid of 
uh, Bazaar of Baghdad, sure, but also Misha's Workshop or like, yep. you know, it, 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 tons of things. That card that card uh, has gone up in, in my opinion in a, uh, by a lot, but this is the same concept, uh, using Shatter to just act as land destruction in, in terms of getting rid of Moxon. Yeah, no, it, um, cause really every time I, every time I see a list, uh, that does well in the big, like eternal central rules tournaments where four strip mines legal every single time I say to myself, Oh my God, I can't believe that this person was able to cast any of their spells at all. They're playing like nine white sources in their order of league bird deck. Yeah. And like <laughs> they win the tournament. And, and I think it's a lot of it is, you know, you kind of have to, you have to run hot to win a tournament regardless of whether you're playing the best or the worst deck. Yeah. And the mana base angle is really something that I, I was like, this is something that I can take advantage of. And just having powerful cards as well as land destruction and black ice to just really capitalize on people stumbling. And I just kind of ran people over as a result of that, uh, just sort of left and right. It was like, okay, yeah, you can play, you know, you, you end up with a hand of five cards in your hand at the end of the game. And, you know, there's sometimes two post board where I put gloom into my deck and, uh, Oh yeah. I mean, just, just really, white decks are gonna really never be able to cast a spell. Yeah. yeah. That's that's wild. Uh, th you know, I was thinking uh, on a similar line. I was I was texting Nate this week because I'm always looking for, you know, weird tech to like, uh, f you know, sort of shore up my matchups in old school. And you know, w my most recent like uh, battle has been how can I get Stasis to beat the deck uh, okay. consistently? And and one of the things I kind of came up with over the last like week is I I play, uh, four uh, what's it called uh four. Uh, uh, City of Brass, which is not the tightest mana base, but I thought about it, and, and because I have so many basics in my deck, I was like, well, can I just play, f like, three Blood Moon in my sideboard and just, like, slam that against the deck when, when they're not looking? Because they're probably going to yeah. be worried about, you know, me playing Stasis, and if I can do basically the exact same thing as what Stasis is trying to do, and not be punished by a, by a, a blood moon as long as I have a city of brass in play, I can just slam that and like that's a two card combo that wins me the game. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you can really just catch people with that and just yeah, blood moon is blood moon is a scary card and I was I was actually very close, but somewhat surprisingly, I, I ended up not playing blood moon because I was too worried about just not being able to cast my own spells. Yeah, I was like I've moved too far off of this kind of red prison burn deck into this space where I'm like, I just want to be as proactive as I can. And I've had points in time where you, you, the, the trickiest thing I, I found in old school is you sit down against someone and you see that you play the first game and you think to yourself, Oh, this person is playing this deck and they very well may be playing that deck, but it's old school and they're probably still five or off of the quote-unquote optimal list because yeah. it's old school and who you know who really who really spends the time aside from me figuring out the you know how which is the absolute best 60th card and the 75th card and all of that stuff you know i live for that and like that's the kind of stuff that i love spending time on and i have a few friends that i kind of talk to and they're kind of wired the same way but 
the vast majority of the old school community is like, you know, you could ask them like, oh, what's in your sideboard? And they might be able to tell you five cards, but there's no way they can tell you the quantities of them. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think one of, one of my biggest uh, pitfalls in, in old school is I just have pet cards and they might not be optimal, but like, man, I want to play, you know, time elemental, you know, like that sort of oh. thing. And that and that's the sort of thing that like uh, I think. You know, it, it, obviously it'll cost you games going down the line if you're no, if your deck isn't like optimally built. But then like you also have to think about how to be happy in this format and and you know having those pet cards and stuff like that is one of those things. Is like this isn't a a grinder's format per se. Nope. So sometimes sometimes it's just better you know for you to be like oh well you know I just really wanted to play Greater Realm of Preservation even though I knew this entire field was going to be. Uh, it was going to be better to play, you know, cop black or something like that. Sure. Yeah. And I think that's really one of the biggest sort of central themes of old school is do whatever makes you happy. Um, and you know, for some people that is, yeah, you, you really want to play time elemental and playing a tournament with time elemental in your deck and the six times that you draw it and you wish that it was any other card, are completely made up for by the fact that you drew it in that one spot and it worked like a charm and it was just the best thing you could possibly do. Yeah. Like you bounced your opponent's Sarah Angel and they, you know, couldn't do anything. They couldn't recast it because you had stasis in play. Yeah. Like, that's that's when it feels the best. <laughs> yeah. That's uh like and that's that's really I don't know, that's one of the things that I've kind of loved with old school is, you know, I I am someone who, like, I don't know, I think a lot of people describe me as a grinder and they, but not like, I'm someone at the same time where I've had, I have so many stories and so many situations where I'm just, and you may be able to, you know, attest to this. I'm just having fun playing magic. Like I get that it's a serious, you know, maybe it's a top eight match or a finals match or whatever, but like, I'm just there having a blast enjoying myself that I'm getting to spend the day playing magic and, you know, yeah, I'm going to try and play my absolute best and I'm going to try and play the best deck that I can possibly play. But that doesn't mean that if something happens, I'm going to have a laugh about it. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, I mean, for me, uh, the the thing I uh, that uh, most people get from me is, uh, you know, I'll sit down and imagine somebody like, you know, hey, how's it going today or whatever? And I'll be like, man, I'm not at work and I'm ha and I have a deck in my hands. Like, it's great. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> things are going well. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Regardless, regardless of your record. Yeah. You there's, you know, life could be far worse than to be able to, than to have the, you know, the privilege to be able to spend a day playing magic. So, yeah, yeah I mean, that's, that's something that it's really hard to kind of remind yourself of that throughout the day when you're playing in a tournament and kind of emotions run high and you can get frustrated or, you know, disappointed. And, but at the same time, you know, if, the game is kind of what you make of it in so many ways and having that mindset, I think just makes everyone else have a better time as well, yeah. which is kind of, you know, one of the biggest things. So, so he, I have a quick question. Have you ever read deep magic by Zach Dolan? Um, no, I haven't. So it, it was a, it, it's an early, early days, uh, magic, uh, magic, uh, like deck list book on okay. strategy for magic. And this is like kind of what got me into the competitive edge of the game, but it's all old school decks. Like it, you know, includes okay. his, his like version of the deck, but uh, yeah, yeah. for the most part, like it, it all came out uh, like just as type two was happening. 
Okay. So I think it includes Ice Age. But the whole the whole thing is just like full of like, here's another deck list, you know, here's a theory craft, here's the math behind why this amount of mana works for this deck, that kind of thing. Okay. Very and that cool. that book to me is like the the handbook for for old school because it shows you just kind of how people were thinking about deck building back then. Okay. Um, and it's it's vastly changed in in the yeah. last what thir- almost thirty years. Yeah. You know, like Twenty six years uh, that Magic's been around. Uh, deck building's changed so much. So what what do you think is is the the difference between how uh, how decks were built then to to how they're built now? Well, I think there's a lot of sort of concepts like the idea of card advantage was sort of, you know, I don't know. I, I guess Brian Weisman didn't technically invent, you know, card advantage, obviously, but like the notion of it was such a sort of abstract thing that no, I don't think people really understood until they saw the deck being played yeah. and people really, you know, like so much of magic at that point in time, at least from my vantage point was really an old school modern day for a lot of people is just like play with what you own. If you have one nightmare in your mono black deck, you play one nightmare because that was, you know, one of your favorite cards. And I think people still do that, but like the streamlining and really being able to talk to other people about what they're playing and what cards are good or, seeing deck lists like i think that's stuff that you know in 1993 the internet was not what it is now where i can go and you know sit down and look and spend an hour browsing through all the deck lists and try and find kind of oh that that strategy looks really good oh let me see how many white sources this guy played in his deck oh that you know that seems like it's pretty standard he did well in the tournament well that has to be kind of the right thing before I have to ask, did like, you did you play during that era? No. 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 Okay. So I, uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm only uh, I'm only 27. So there, yeah. So yeah, obviously not. Up. Yeah. So here here's here's something that like I always thought was thought was wild is like not just and this is this is probably gonna blow your mind not just like seeing what other people are doing, but having access to knowing what all the magic cards available are. Well, I used to go into stores and just open a binder and be like, I've never seen that card before. I feel like that every single time uh, somebody mentions a random card from Legends that yeah, I've yeah. never heard of. <laughs> the the running joke amongst my friends is that like every week they print a new card in Legends. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I remember just like going to a, a shop that had like a commons binder of antiquities cards and Legends cards. I bought like a Caracas for like five bucks in like 1996 because, you know, it wasn't that good. Uh, right. But like, you know, I just I would just buy like whatever I hadn't seen before. And then I'd come home and, uh, you know, like I'd meet up with my friends and be like, yo, would you guys get this weekend? And we'd all just like show each other cards and be like, I've never seen that card. I've never seen that one either. Because the Internet not being a really a really good source for information yeah. for that sort of stuff, you just didn't know until you saw stuff. Yeah, my my upbringing in Magic was actually fairly similar to that in in many senses. I so I started playing like I have you know this kind of weird story where I was eight years old and asked my grandmother for a Magic deck and I wanted like you know like kind of Magic tricks type of stuff. Oh, okay, she got me a starter <laughs> two thousand. Nice. And 
at eight years old, I was like, uh, these are like kind of like action figures. And I remember my friends and I running around and like, I'll be the trained or you can be the visitrix, like running around <laughs> in the yard, like pretending that that's what we were. And then put all my cards away until like three years later, one of my friends went to summer camp and came that's back. And, yeah. He came back and, <laughs> and he was like, yeah, do you remember that game? Like we used to like run around with the cards, but I know how to play now. And like, of course, he didn't know the rules, and we played like mana drop, where any number of lands you have, you can just play. Oh wow, that's the opposite so, of how I played. All your lands just stayed under the thing that you cast. Oh wow, <laughs> that gosh, that's an expensive way to play magic. Yeah, it was very hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my one friend got uh, he got two seventh edition starters, pulled out all the cheap stuff out of it and kept all the basic land and he was playing like this deck that was all like five and six drops and just mountains and like he would just be like turn one play five mountains play a five drop and i was just like what am i supposed to do here uh, <laughs> but then anyways i uh ran into a buddy of mine who i went to school with and he was there for a magic tournament i was there actually playing Yu-Gi-Oh, and he was play. it was during mirrodin block he was playing with arcbound ravager and i was like this is so cool. And I was like, I want to like be like that. And so I bought like a Mirrodin starter deck and then he and I kind of became fast friends and we would go over to the card store. It was like maybe a mile from my house. We would walk over there after school and they had like long boxes upon long boxes of like random commons, oh, uncommons yeah. and rares, the just totally. Proof. Yeah. <laughs> and like, we went through every single card that they had just like reading these cards, like, Oh my God, what's this random it's, card from, from Odyssey that I've never seen before. It's literally like being Indiana Jones as a kid, like going yeah. through, going through those boxes of cards that you've just never seen. It's, it's hard to explain to someone who plays the game now, or even someone who got into the game somewhat recently because it just it's a whole different feeling uh you know because you have a so much access now that right. like as as children like you just don't have the money to buy like you know all the cards that you want you right. know and then and on top of that like you just didn't have access to that sort of knowledge i mean a lot of kids they weren't even allowed on the internet when they were like yep. you know in like 2000 like your dad had a computer and and maybe you got to go on on it for like an hour or something like that you know yeah no, that's 100% accurate. Yeah, I, for until, gosh, about like 2007 or so, I didn't really have access to the internet, really. I mean, you know, I had an, I have an older brother and an older sister, and they, uh, you know, they always wanted to be on AIM because oh, they yeah. were, you know, 15. And I was the little kid who, you know, yeah, I would go on like E-Bombs World and look up <laughs> stupid videos, but yeah, like they would throw me, you know, they would throw me off the computer after 15 minutes because they're like, well, you're just wasting your time on here. Like my friend just, you know, I need to change my away message or whatever. And I would just be, that would be that. Yep. But anyways, I, yeah, I, I like didn't know what any of the cards were. And I remember my uncle got me the like magic encyclopedias. Oh yes, of course. And I read those things front to back, just like looking through the visual spoilers of everything. And then the next kind of thing that I found was all of the old pro tour coverage. And oh TV yeah. Coverage. I still have the first, the first televised pro tour on like VHS. It oh, is wow. phenomenally bad. 
as far as like coverage is concerned because they just didn't know how to talk about magic at the time. Yeah. You know, like I think the 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 final the final uh match was uh Mike Lacanto's uh blue white prison deck versus uh uh, Le- Bertrand Lestrade's uh, Ernam Geddon deck, and and one of the ca- the casters is like, so Jim, can you tell me what Ernam Geddon means? It's just like <laughs> so weird. It's like so forced because you could tell these guys were like sports sports casters that yeah. like ESPN two just hired and were like talk about magic and they're like whatever for a paycheck, you know, like yeah, but like it's so hilarious. That's awesome. Yeah, I. I it's a, it's just such a such a crazy thing to think about like where ESPN is now and to the fact that you know 25 years ago they were putting magic tournaments on yeah there was like any 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 random sport type event now they're just like it's a whole different thing you'd never see magic on ESPN now like it's all no. covered you know tw- between Twitch and you know uh YouTube like that stuff's taken care of you know yeah oh absolutely yeah, I'm lucky enough that at my job, uh, I'm allowed to, they haven't blocked YouTube and I have an office and I can kind of turn my oh, uh, nice. monitors. So, <laughs> you know, if a pro tour is going on, uh, I may, you know, spend a little bit of time watching it and nobody is really any the wiser. I work in games, so they kind of just let me have carte blanche as long as, as long as I'm, you know, I'm, I'm producing, they're happy. <laughs> yeah, I think that's kind of the approach that my boss has taken. Yeah. But yeah, it really is. I, it's kind of crazy though, to think back to 1993 and 1994 where people, yeah, like you said, they're just, Oh, that car, I've never seen that car before. And like, then to compare that to now where, you know, I'm thinking before I even sit down, I know, Oh, I'm playing against Paul De Silva who I played in the last round. Well, I know Paul's list pretty much by heart. And so I know exactly what to play around and, Oh, he played two swords to pile shares in the first game. Well, I know that I've seen Paul's list. Paul only has two swords in his main yeah, deck. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So, so I've you're got, safe. Go, go yeah, for I'm it. Yeah, safe. Go for it. Sack all the, sack all the artifacts. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that's that's one of those things that you could, I kind of take for granted at this point because yeah. it's just so sort of ingrained. But it, it really great that you were able to kind of bring me back to that sort of, I don't know, adolescent state of mind where yeah you really just had no idea what was going on and like it was every match was every turn you were like seeing new cards which was just such a cool like there was nothing better it was the like, game had I, such a, a, a an insane mystery to it uh when I, when i was a kid it's just like you never knew what was gonna happen we didn't have you know specific rules about what uh you know what type or format you could play it was just like the card you had magic yeah uh, so, so, you know, we've covered how, how the format is, is different than it was 26 years ago, but, uh, so let's, let's talk about some of your matches. Let's, let's just go right sure. into the, uh, there was a top eight for this. Uh, so let's just talk about your, your first match in the top eight. Uh, well, no, there wasn't a, there was a there top was eight. No, okay. no top eight. Yeah. It was just, we played eight rounds of Swiss and, uh, that was that. Okay. So let's <laughs> let's talk about. Uh, so why don't you pick a couple of uh, matches out that stood out to you? Sure. So, um, well, in the uh, in the second round, I very got very close to not winning the tournament. Um, I played against Mark Brothers, who is from San Antonio. I met him in Chicago, 
and he was playing an Urnum Geddon deck. Uh, Jim, do you mind uh, explaining what Urnum Geddon is? <laughs> well, the the player puts the Urnum Gin on the board, and then it gives Forest Walk to one of its opponent's creatures, and then he casts Armageddon, so the Forest Walk doesn't matter. <laughs> it's about what it sounded like. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. So the first game against Mark, he mulliganed to four, and I uh, I ran him over. Oh, wow. Um, that's that's unfortunate but, for him. Yeah, but <laughs> what I found out in the second and then third game was that not only was Mark playing Urnumjin, which is very difficult for my deck, which relies on lightning bolts and a couple sonic blasts to get rid of creatures yeah. to deal with, but he also had Spirit Link in his deck. Yeah, that can get so, right over top of you pretty quickly. Yeah, I kind of like fought through his creatures and we ended up going to the third game and I was just getting absolutely whitewashed by this Urnum Jin. And he was up to like, I don't know, I think he was at like 15 life or so. And I'm down to 11 and we and time gets called. And so the way that they do it in Eternal Central Rules for, I imagine you're familiar, but oh, yeah. for those who don't is you do five additional turns and then you go to a Chaos Orb flip-off if, if there's not a winner at that point. So on turn five of turns, Mark put me to one life. He went up to 22 and I was just dead to rights. Yeah. But it was turn five, so we go to Orb Flips. Um, and I... Um, kind of have gotten a reputation. Uh, I've done a lot of Chaos Orb practice. Um, actually, won, when I was in Sweden, we won the, uh, the Old School Rider Cup, uh, which is a Chaos Orb challenge. Um, I've done the, uh, the Lords of the Pit have a Chaos Orb flipping challenge where you have to make 50 Chaos Orb flips. You get one free miss, and then you can put a shot up to buy yourself an, an extra miss. You can put as many shots as you want. Oh God. But the caveat is <laughs> if at the end of it, you have any shots left, you have to take them. Okay. So I, uh, I became the second ever person to get 50 out of 50 and then took three shots. And, uh, yeah, the rest of the night was kind of a blur, <laughs> Yeah, no but, doubt. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I'm, I kind of pride myself for my chaos orb flipping. I did a lot of, uh, kind of, I don't know, like 50 chaos orb flips a night until I really felt comfortable with it. But anyhow, uh, so we go to an orb flip off and Mark knows, you know, I did a podcast actually on all things considered where I talked about like my chaos orb technique and all of that. So I feel pretty comfortable. Yeah. And Mark misses his second orb flip. And I guess I rushed it, but I missed my second orb oh, no. flip as well. And thankfully he had already missed. So I, I like to say at least that, the reason that I missed was because there wasn't any pressure on me, but like, man, I was flustered. And then I kind of tightened up and he kept, he made his next three. I made my next three. He missed one. I made it and I won the match and wow. I really won a match that I had no business at all winning. Yeah. I mean, that, the, he could have just passed turn and probably killed you with your own surrender before right? Oh yeah. I mean, I was <laughs> in that, in that match. Yeah. There was like nothing that I was going to draw, nothing that I was going to do. That was going to get me out of 22 to one. Yeah. That's so uh, much. Yeah. And it wasn't like I even had any permanents really. I think I just had lands in play and no cards. It was just, I was dead to rights, but I got saved by the bell. Um, and so I kind of moved on and 
uh, I kept just sort of winning matches, I guess, uh, throughout the day. And um, I got to round seven, and that's where things got a little strange. Mm. Um, so I don't really know exactly what happens. I don't really believe, like, I, I would describe myself as an agnostic, but there was some type of, like, divine intervention that happened. Um, so I got to a spot where I was facing down lethal in game two and I had four lands in play, no cards in hand. And I said to my opponent, jokingly, I'll cast wheel of fortune, flip the top card of my deck, wheel of fortune. Okay. And yeah. <laughs> uh, I actually ended up losing that game, but like my opponent was just so flabbergasted by the fact that I had just blind called like, you know, I, I didn't do that. That was the only time I did that. Well, I guess I did it twice, two times in the day. But that was the first time I did that in the day, and I got it right. And, like, it was just <laughs> freaky. Yeah. And um, then we played the third game, and I just stripped him right out of the game. Uh, and that was that. But it was like – I was like, this is getting, like, supernatural. Uh, and then I played in the, the eighth round. I played against my friend Paul Da Silva, and we had a spot in the – second game where I said to him um, he had like five lands in play, including one city of brass. And I had like five lands in play as well. And I drew a strip mine and I said, we both had no cards in hand. And I said, I'm going to strip mine your city of brass because you're going to draw a demonic tutor. And he drew his card and he just showed me it was his demonic. tutor. <laughs> and I was like, and it was, it was funny too, because I had a, um, I had Natog in play and I, and, you know, he, Paul is a great guy and he's, you know, he's a good player, but he's not like the most competitive guy. And like, I love, love the fact that he was just like sheepishly shows me the yeah, shooter, like, like, how did you possibly know that this was there? Yeah. And I had, I had Natog in play and I'm like, okay, well I'll uh, play my, you know, sacrifice six artifacts to Natog because I know your only card is demonic tutor. Don't mind if I do. Yeah, of course. And uh, yeah, it was, um, it was kind of crazy. And then the third game, the third game was kind of funny. Um, and it sort of spoke to the thesis of the deck that I chose to play insofar as, um, I kept a hand that had no, um, I had no artifact mana. It was just lands and Serendipifreet and shatter and like strip mines and I had a chaos orb and we just kind of went back and forth and Paul put a energy flux on the board. And I was like, I was holding a red blast and I'm like, I don't need to red blast this. Yeah, I have this no artifact. Fine. mana. Yeah. <laughs> and I had boarded out my Ankh of Mistress against him. And I had actually boarded out my black vises too, because I was on the draw for game three. And I said, you know, I'd rather have gloom. I'd rather have, um, red elemental blast. Yeah. Um, there's just, you know, a lot of stuff that I would prefer to have instead of being sort of saddled with these artifacts that I know that his game plan is going to be to kill. And I dropped a gloom and strip mined him and chaos orbed him. And he didn't have enough mana. You know, he, I put a serendip of freak down. He kind of built up to four mana to swords it. But then I had two, uh, two mistress factories and they just kind of carried me through to the finish line. It was just, there was nothing he could do. And it, it just sort of, it, really felt fitting that I kind of built this deck, which is, you know, the, the sort of historical way that people have beaten me when, when I played Atogs is 
load up on the artifact removal. Yeah. And like dust to dust and divine offering and energy flux and shatter storm. Like that stuff just crushes me. But when I'm able to board into a game plan that doesn't, um, doesn't really care that much. I mean, you know, I, I would prefer if someone did not destroy my black vice or destroy my mistress factory, but to have a game plan that, that is able to sort of, just have robust threats in and of itself, as well as disruption. It was, it was huge. And, um, it really kind of capped off what was really kind of a perfect day of old school for me. And I just, you know, sat there afterwards being like, how did this all kind of come together the way that it did? And I'm sure, you know, I could replay it in a, in a million, uh, alternate realities. The same exact scenario would probably never come up again where I, get this called, you know, called Wheel of Fortune and then called Demonic Tutor, as well as the, you know, the crazy turns situation. It was yeah. just just kind of the perfect tournament in so many ways. Yeah, that, I mean, that sounds amazing. The, the you know, getting getting the, uh, going for the board plan that, like, just eschews the, uh, eschews what your opponent's game plan is, basically, and being able to take it down from that. It's like a total soul read. Yeah, um, and the, the big thing, that I was kind of worried about is city in the bottle as we kind of, of started course, off yeah. talking about is, is it so good against Serenade Freak? But thankfully my deck, I'm playing four shatters post board or three main and one on the board. So it's like, I'm going to have my shatters. So I had people play city in a bottle against me. I actually, I think I only had it happen to me once in the actual tournament itself. But like if someone plays it ahead of time, yeah, you get my city of brass and yeah, you can get my, uh, you know, you can get a Serenity of Freed if I have it, but I'm going to be able to shatter it if that's what's relevant. And then I'll be able to put down my Serenity of Freed and hopefully ride that to victory. And that that part of it is kind of, you know, it's like there's too many angles that the person is going to have to fight me on to really be able to fight well. Yeah, I, I have played uh, Arabian Aggro a few times. And one of the things I've done in the past to get around City of Brass is I've just played Artifact Blast uh, okay. out of my sideboard as a as a counterspell to to yeah. the city of the city. In, I said city and brass, city in a bottle. Uh, to to just like make sure that like okay, my opponent's gonna slam that, assuming that I'm probably not playing counter magic, and I'm just like got got it, got it. I can keep attacking. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's a perfectly reasonable part in that sense. The, the worry that I had with Artifact Blast is just. In general, I want to be kind of playing as many proactive cards. Yeah. And I've had I've played around with Artifact Quest a little bit, and the the challenge I ran into with it was there's so many times where you're like, do I want to play this Chain Lightning or do I want to hold up the Artifact Quest? Exactly. And I feel like yeah. every time where you don't play the Chain Lightning, your opponent doesn't play an Artifact, and every time you play the Chain Lightning, they play an Artifact. <laughs> they do, yeah. Whether they, you know, they probably don't have no idea because it's old school and generally people aren't playing around specific things, but it's just the way of the world with that. Um, but yeah, no, that's, that's really one of the, one of the ways. And, and I really felt like for Serendipa free and playing three city of brass was uh, going to be kind of the perfect mix for me to be able to still play. Uh, or I guess I played four city of brass rather, but to be able to play, a proactive strategy that doesn't just die to sitting in a bottle because yeah, with the, with like Arabian aggro or really you get beyond four Arabian creatures, 
it gets real rough sometimes. Yeah. Where somebody yeah. drops a bottle and you're just like, I am. I mean, not even getting two for one on the bottle is is never fun. As far as like creatures on the board, it's just like, oh, that was really bad. You know, going back to the whole card advantage thing. You know. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so then you took, you took down the tournament. Uh, I, it looks like you, you picked up a, uh, mirror universe. Yeah. Which is pretty sweet. Yeah. I got a mirror universe and I was, I was shocked to find out. I also, uh, the, uh, the fish loader oil crew in Italy gave me a 500 euro travel voucher to oh, go to wow. WinCon, which is the, uh, the old, the new, old school world championships that's going to be held in in genoa italy next year oh wow. and i also got a hotel room for the weekend that's i really amazing. had no idea yeah I, I had no idea that that's what that was what was at stake and i'm honestly glad that i didn't know because i probably would have like psyched my oh yeah of course stuff out <laughs> but yeah i was like i was totally shocked and i was like man this is like this is way more of a prize than i was anticipating well, you've been on a hot streak lately. You yeah. took down the Mana Drain uh, tournament in Waterbury. You, you, yeah. you took down the old school event. You know, like yeah, the world's my oyster for the next uh, for the next few minutes. I think yeah, it's it's pretty great. <laughs> yeah, no, it was um, it's been kind of a fun culmination for me of old school to kind of get to this point, especially given that 2017 I came in not having played old school, not really knowing what it was to come to eternal weekend and watch the tournament and say, that's what I want to be doing. And then to actually get to do it. It's just kind of, it doesn't feel real. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, I think that's it for us to, uh, for the, for the cast. Will, thanks so much for, for coming on and talking about old school with me. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. We got to have you on again sometime. Sounds great. Uh, if you're listening and uh, you were you were into this podcast, uh, you can always uh, join our Patreon at it, uh, Patreon.com/EternalDirtles. You can support us there. Also, if you're listening to this on Anchor or any of the other things, you can go on to our Anchor.com uh, playlist, and uh, you can support us there as well. Uh, and I think that'll that'll do it for uh, for us tonight. Uh, thanks everybody for listening, and uh, have a good one. Where does he get those wonderful toys?